Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Nessun Dorma Draft. We are back in the land that time forgot. No, not a World War One Lost World type thriller. It's an English league season before 1992. Can you imagine such a thing? 1984-85. I may well, this is Martin Ramsey, of course, your host. I may well have won England in the 1990s draft, but I am up against it this week. Certainly a time before my love of football began, just before my love of football began, and I'm joined by two people immersed, not just in football this era, but this season in particular, especially their respective clubs. Um, a man who very much enjoyed English First Division in 1984-85, Gary Naylor is with us. How are we, Gary? I'm very well. I'm just struggling to get out of my mind the images that swirled into my head when you, you said the land that time forgot because I'm suddenly seeing Doug McClure and Caroline Munro in front of my <laughs> eyes. But I'll soon shift that, I promise you. And I'm also joined back after a wee while out of uh, <laughs> the game. It's Mike Millings. How are we, Mike? Doing well, thank you, Martin. How are you? I am good, thank you. Um, and I'm, I'm about to get an education, I hope, in 1984-85. Okay, with that in mind, I mean, we have what an Everton fan and a Watford fan very much in the thick of it um, in English football at that time. As I said, it predates my consciousness. I think even 86, 87 were my first kind of memories of any, any football season. Um, I think English football, English league football anyway, really came into my life with that phenomenal denouement of 88, 89 at Anfield and that Friday night live on ITV across the country and um, all of that. Gary, take me back then to 84. Well, I was a, what, what was going on? Well, I was a student. I was in my what, uh, second time round trying to get a degree and uh, I think I was in my uh, second year um, doing law at UCL and what that meant is that I could get to quite a few matches um, so I did go to quite a few matches it was in the days when capacity crowds were rare so you, you pitched up an hour before the kickoff at the turnstiles, handed over three English pounds and 50 pence or whatever it might be, and in you went. So I was watching the match of the 80s on this season last night, and they showed matches at Leicester, and I was there for that one, and they showed the famous Tottenham Hotspur match, which I'm sure we'll um, come to a bit later. I was there for that one. So um, I was very lucky to be an Everton fan and have the time and the uh, opportunity to see these uh, games um i knew i was lucky i just didn't know i was that lucky and mike what were you up to then i was um i was 12 years old so i was uh i was beginning to my consciousness of football had had really started to blossom i mean i i have memories all the way back to the the ticker tape of the 78 world mm. cup final um but it was the, the early 80s where I really started to, you know, understand to some extent. And this actually was the first season, I think, no, the previous season was the first season I actually ever went to a game. Um, my parents weren't all that keen in taking me to a early 80s uh, football ground at that age. But my uncle would take me uh, to see Watford a couple of times. Uh, and I also oddly... Um, saw Queen's Park Rangers a couple of times, including one famous game from this season that I attended, and uh, the hero of which I might, you never know, I might pick today. 
You never know indeed. Um, if I can just briefly touch on the end of the previous season, then the FA Cup final 1984, which of course saw Everton play Watford. Gary, where were these two sides? Before, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm opening wounds here for Mac, but where, where were these two sides in English football at that time in comparison to the obvious red juggernaut? And well, Everton famously was staring into the abyss until Kevin Brock gave a dodgy back pass at Oxford United. Adrian Heath slipped in and um, scored the goal, which sent Everton on their way to the League Cup final and then subsequently the FA Cup final. And um, Everton rose from sort of 16th, 17th, 18th, perhaps in the in the league. It was a 22-club uh, league then, um, up to seven. And... Um, Mac will tell you what happened in the FA Cup final of 1984, but it was oh, very much. Oh the, yeah, I will. <laughs> it was very much the. Um, it was very much the springboard uh, to uh, Everton's uh, Annus Mirabilis or season Mirabilis that was to follow. But we didn't really know that when we lost four-one at Goodison in the first game of the season to Tottenham Hotspur, and mm. and drew, I think, uh, or maybe even lost two-one um, at uh, the Hawthorns to. West Brom, because they used to start with two matches played a Saturday and a Wednesday to kind of kickstart the season. Um, so there was a bit of kind of flatness in the air. And then all of a sudden, off we came. It was uh, amazing. We played so well. Mike, we, we, don't, we don't have to go into uh, Andy Great Wembley and all of that. And Phil, oh, Phil, I, I, think, I think we do. Oh, I mean, I mean, the floor is yours. But then after that, can you... Your expectations then for, for Watford in the in the league after such a, a famous season, I guess, in 84-85? Yeah, no, they'd uh, had a, a couple of, well, many famous seasons, four promotions in five years, finished second in their first uh, season up in the up in the old first division. Uh, and then the year after that was the, the FA Cup final. Um, uh, allegedly, Watford have been to a second FA Cup final since then, but I claim no memory of it or any of the six goals that Manchester City scored. <laughs> um, but uh, but no, that I mean, I mean, Andy Gray robbed robbed an entire town of um, of of the one bit of joy that they could have looked forward to by bulldozing Steve Sherwood into the back of the net, which was a which was a 1984 goal, but a 2023 red card and 10 game ban. Mm. But but expectations, sorry, but expectations uh, going to this season, I mean, finished 11th or 12th the previous season. I mean, every Watford, every Watford supporter, you know, knows how big the club is or isn't. Um, so dreams, you know, or, there was a, there was uh, you know, a European history newly uh, the previous season as well. So, you know, big dreams. Um, but they finished uh, 11th, which I think was just about right. And I would kill for that today. Yeah. I, 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 I just want to uh, make uh, one comment on uh, the Everton-Watford connection, which is um, on the on the walk from Watford Junction to Vicarage Road, um, for the Watford Everton game in 84-85, I um I said to my brother, I said, Well, at least it won't be like last year. I mean, we're not getting a four-four again, are we? And I was absolutely right, because we've got a five-four uh mm -hmm. Everton beating 
Watford 5 4, an extraordinary match in which Terry Curran was sent off. It's not often you get nine goals and a red card, but um, that was Vicarage Road. And uh, yeah, a certain Watford player showed some of his potential. He was to become quite good against Everton over subsequent seasons, but I'm sure we'll come to him later. Yes. And before we get to the, the draw and then get into the draft, into the business of the show, um, Gary, how disappointing was it then to miss out on? A treble. I would hesitate to call it the treble, but Everton, of course, they won the first division. They won the Cup Winners' Cup, uh, I think, in the background of a recording. Wheel. Is that the Cup Winners' Cup final yeah. team lining up there? Andy Gray looking very positive, shall we say. Um, yeah, it looks like it might be Rotterdam. Yeah, and then missing out, of course, to Norman Whiteside. And, yeah. Was it, well, it's still been a fantastic season. Of course it is, a league and a European trophy. Or was there this just this little bit of disappointment that that, that kind of immortalisation was... was I, well, I, I I think it's it's hard to remember how one felt, you know, contemporaneously because what happened subsequently was a disappointment beyond all of the disappointments mm. all piled up together which was, of course, the European ban, because there was a, a feeling, and I, I think we might talk about some of the players um, and what happened to them in this this team, which didn't disintegrate instantly because, you know, Everton won the championship again in 87. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I was thinking there's that quote that Sid Waddell used about Eric Bristow referring to Alexander the Great, saying there were no more lands left to conquer. And there was a sense in which this this team had won the FA Cup in the May, they'd won the championship with five games to spare, they'd won the European competition they were in, which was the Cup Winners' Cup, and then they went to Wembley to play Manchester United for the FA Cup, but we'd already won that sort of 12 12 months earlier. So the obvious final step um, was to play in the European Cup, which obviously had Liverpool had something of a lean on it, um, and so it would have been very, very sweet had this team that were obviously, if not the best in Europe, was certainly one of the outstanding teams in Europe, and even somewhat inexperienced. Although they had this European trophy, and the Cup Winners' Cup was a much stronger competition now than the um, UEFA League. Is, what's it called? The uh, UEFA League is that what it's called? Not the Champions League. Europa League, yeah, is now. Um, so. That disappointment kind of quashed any disappointment we felt at Wembley. Um, for what, for my point of view, I've seen I've seen Everton lose a few cup finals. I saw us lose in '86 at Wembley, and I saw us losing again in '89. And um, at Wembley, in those days especially, an FA Cup final defeat, I saw us lose in 2009 as well to Chelsea. Um, a Wembley defeat in a final isn't too bad because the real crushing disappointment used to come in the semi-final. Yeah. yeah. When you were, you know, at Hillsborough or Villa Park or somewhere like that. And you realised that the Wembley dream, inverted commas, of course, um, had been swiped away. So I recall at the time thinking, well, ho-hum, Whiteside scored a brilliant goal. The lads looked leggy. They were tired. They were mentally tired. Uh, they played. Some of them have played 60 games that season. No blame attached to them at all. And I didn't feel that disappointed. Had we lost the semi-final in an incredible game at uh, Villa Park, and I think we beat Luton, um, then I would have been sorely disappointed. 
But a late Sheedy goal and a Mountfield header in extra time secured the uh, trip to Wembley. So I was I was okay about it. I, I would have been sorely disappointed if he hadn't beaten Luton as well. <laughs> yes, indeed. Hands across the M1 or whatever it might be. <laughs> okay, let's get uh, on to business then. The draw. Um, those names there in front of us all in alphabetical order. I will press the green button. And thankfully, I'm up first. With I think I will need all I can get here. So it's myself, then Gary, then Matt. You know, uh, you know, I I so wanted to be one or three because you get two picks at a time, don't you? If you're yeah, one or three. eventually, it's only, yeah. It's only in the middle that you only get one. So. I I wanted to be last because I have no greater ambition than to be Rob Smythe. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, let's let's get cracking then. I who do I get? I mean, I was really hoping for quite a lot of support with us, um, gents. Uh, I'll do what I I normally do. I'll, I'll try and steal the attention with the top goal scorer, which uh, was Gary Lineker, of course. Um, well, joint top goal scorer, I think, wasn't he? Twenty four league goals. Yeah, I think yeah. Um, that's right. So I will I will take Lineker up front. Thank you very much. And over to you then, Gary. Well, I, I always invite scorn and um, second, third or fourth place in the uh, draft polls because I insist on, and I thought about this last night, I insist on picking the best goalkeeper because I would like to look at seasons in the top flight where the best goalkeeper or arguably the best goalkeeper that season has not played for the champions. They are mm. that important. At this time, on these terrible pitches, the pitches have changed so much uh, since uh, since 84, 85, uh, indeed since 94, 95, that chances were hard to come by and good chances were even harder to come by. So if you had a goalkeeper who was... Who was saving match after match what these days they would call an expected goal or kind of 0.8 or 0.9 then they were worth their weight in gold and they spread confidence uh through the defense and obviously i'm going to go for the uh football writers footballer of the year the best goalkeeper i've ever seen playing for my club and at his best i think the best goalkeeper i've ever seen full stop who is of course neville Sargo. Didn't see that coming. Uh, I, I have, <laughs> uh, forgive me, gents. I haven't asked your formations. I've made a, a huge assumption that we will all be four four two here. I certainly will be, Gary. Well, eighty four, eighty five. I don't. Uh, it would be. It would be heresy to be anything other than four four two. Although there is a little nuance available. Yeah, Mike. Yeah. No, they didn't have other formations, did they? Four four two for me, please. Yeah, no there was problem. no. There was no magazine in W. H. Smith called three five one one, was there, or three four one one, whatever it might be. Okay, Matt, you have two picks. I've given you uh, yellow and black there, so. Um... Oh, thank you. Okay. Well, um, in uh, in honor of that, it, I don't know if it's the right pick to make first, but I cannot make any other pick than the one I'm about to make. Uh, he was spotted by a cab driver playing in Sudbury. Uh, the fee 
was an entire set of kit. And uh, he is the greatest player to ever play in a Watford shirt. He's uh, my favorite footballer ever. And that is correct. It is John Barnes. Um, he, I mean, he was young still. Uh, he was, what, 20 uh, at this mm. point only, I think. Let me see if I can mm. find him. There he is. He's 20 years old. He'd already scored that goal uh, mm. in Brazil. Um, he, uh, the, the first game I ever went to uh, at Vicarage Road was the previous season. And just the anticipation every time he got the ball with just a little bit of space to run into, uh, it was just, it just crackled. Um, and so, and I've met him, met him once. Um, he was at Liverpool at the time, but I always carry, <laughs> I was a grown man by this point. I was in my twenties, but I always carried his Panini sticker in my wallet. And I got him to sign the back of my Panini sticker. He gave me a slightly funny look, but yeah. uh, signed it anyway, gentleman that he is. And I immediately went and had it laminated and it's still in my possession today. Well, that's sweet. Well, uh, just chip in with the aforementioned 5-4 at Watford. Um, Barnes was unplayable that day. He was so brilliant. And um, and he was quite young. I think he was 20 uh, at that time. Just brilliant. And I'll just say one other thing. I think I may have mentioned this on an older Ness and Dormer. Uh, there was a lot of racism around at that time in grounds. And uh, Everton, alas, had their fair share. And... Playing at Liverpool, he uh, playing for Liverpool at Goodison, um, he did get bad racist abuse. There's no getting around that. Um, for every, any Everton fan listening who's overly sensitive, I was there. I know what was said. I know what was chanted. I know what was uh, being talked about. But I think he had to come off as in the second half with an injury. He was substituted anyway. And um, there was a kind of woo went round the ground as we realised Barnes was going off because he'd just torn us apart. Uh, and then something you don't often hear at Goodison um, in the middle of a match, which is the clatter of the wooden seats because everyone was on their feet to applaud a great player leaving uh, the pitch. And um, I think that shows just how good he was. Very true. Uh, Mark, you have a, a second choice, of course. I do. Um, and uh, I'm going to disappoint Gary, I think. Ooh. He was the PFA Player of the Year. Uh, he was the engine room. His name is Peter Reed, and I cede the rest of my time to Gary Naylor. <laughs> well, I, I, I feel I'm talking too much at the beginning of this, so I'll be brief in my tribute to Peter Reed. But he was the engine room. I used to call him the heartbeat of the side because he'd pick the ball off the back four. He would do something that I always look for in a central midfield player, which is carry it into the opposition half. And then he would play a forward pass. But it was the personality as well. It was a scouser in the middle of the field, albeit a red, uh, in the middle of the field at, uh, at Goodison in our greatest team. And um, yeah, uh, I heard him on the radio being interviewed yesterday by... Uh, Adrian Childs, and um, he's still he's still who he is. What you see is what you get with Peter Reed on or off the field. Okay, okay. So John Barnes and Peter Reed, Neville Southall, Gary Lineker, big hitters already. Gary, who's playing well, up front? Southall, it's some part. Of yeah, the pitch. well, 
quite literally playing in front of Southall is Everton's captain, Kevin Ratcliffe, who had Kyle Walker's recovery pace, and we didn't know what the word recovery pace or the phrase recovery pace meant, uh, allowed Everton to play a high line. The offside trap was a critical part of defensive armour in those days and um, led the side having been a hothead in his youth. I once saw him as a teenager get sent off for headbutting the opposition winger at Goodison, but he calmed down. He was a leader of men at the age of about 23 or something. Um, one of Kendall's finest ever decisions was to make uh, the Welshman our captain, and I would make him my captain as well today. So in front of Southall, you've got Ratcliffe, and you can pick whoever you wanted to attack those two. They're not getting past them. Is that left centre back then, Gary? Is that right? Uh, yeah, centre back. I, I, I can't, um, I can't nuance it enough to say which side. But yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Okay. So Neville Southall, your your bid to get the entire Everton um, side is already under threat. But I'm sure you will do your best, Gary. Oh, I will. You certainly will. Um, okay. Where do I go then? Can I steal some of uh, your thunder? Um, yeah, well, I mean, I'm going to go with Trevor Stephen, of course. Um, again, we're all playing four four two, so there's got to be some kind of wedge. There's got to be some kind of intelligence out there. Um, Barnes is already gone, um, so that's uh, causing me a bit of problems in the left, but I'll, I'll try and get... Um, certainly one of the best uh, right midfielders of the league. There's maybe a couple of others there. And Ooh, should I go in the the back of the back of the side as well? Yeah. Uh, okay, I'll go with I'll go with um Mark Lawrence and I'll get some Liverpool uh, quality in there. Um, didn't win the title, of course, but conceded the fewest goals. So, yeah, I'll, I'll shore up with, with Mark Lawrence. Any opinions on those two gentlemen? Gary, well, I'll, ch I'll chip in with Trevor Stephen. Um, I saw him play centre-forward at uh, Leicester in a vital game. And um, he was just as good at centre-forward as he was at right midfield. I think he came from Burnley for £300,000. He mm. was a beautiful player to watch. He was such a graceful runner. Um, he was extremely disciplined. He worked very, very hard. He made a lot of right decisions. Um, so he was a very intelligent uh, footballer. Again, sadly, at this time, football wasn't the behemoth of the mm. Premier League. Uh, so... And it was unpopular. You know, football was a problem. It wasn't a a, a kind of um, a kind of obsession the way it is now. And so some of these players are not remembered as much as they ought to be. Um, but Trevor Stephen was just an, an absolute uh, an absolute delight, a tremendous player. But but what a what a runner! What a, a man running with or without the ball he could have been a ballet dancer. He certainly could. And oh, uh, yeah. okay. Lawrenson, we should we should probably have a word about Lawrenson too. He yeah, was yeah. Uh, you know, he was in the PFA Team of the Year, um, but you know I, I'll say that uh, so was Shilton. So you know, I mean, <laughs> take that 
take from that what you will. But no, I mean, my, my dad was and remains a, uh, a Liverpool supporter, and I'm sure has lots of lovely things to say about Mark Lawrenson. But I will point out that he only played 33 games that season, and uh, we only get to pick 11 players. So I think when you end up with 10 players for the last quarter of the season, I think whoever I pick is going to beat you. <laughs> Fighting talk already. Here we go. I'm getting bullied by the two-season champion. <laughs> Gary, um, what Everton player will be next? Well, it's very different <laughs> player. Yes, I'm afraid it is. Very different player on the other side of the field um, for uh, Everton in the midfield there. And um, he never warmed up and he would walk across the field when the team ran out on his bandy legs you couldn't see anybody who looked less like a footballer and he had an absolute wand of a left foot. He scored more than his fair share of goals, but he was very good at dead balls and did the the thing that, you know, I would have just walked off. I would have retired and retired the shirt at the same time in a match against Ipswich where Paul Cooper, who was famous for his uh, penalty saves, was in goal and um, Sheedy... That's who I'm talking about, of course, Kevin Sheedy. He ran up and he put the ball in the top left-hand corner um, at the park end. And the referee blew up and said, you've got to take it again. So unruffled, he was never ruffled, um, put the ball down and then kicked it in the top right-hand corner. So he went from one corner to the other with the free kicks, scored them both. And if that wasn't enough to cement you as an Everton legend, he gave the Vs to the cop and then again to the Kemlin Road. Kevin Sheedy is my favourite player, actually, ever. And he's in there in left midfield. I nearly chose him as well, Gary. I'm so <laughs> fortunate there. Okay, Southall, Radcliffe and Sheedy. I've changed it to blue and white. I'll, I'll take the black and white here, Gary. I think that's probably more appropriate. Yes. Uh, Mac, you've got a double here. All right. Let's see. Who do I... Uh-huh, I got that. I got that. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I've got two. So I'm going to pick... I think I'm going to pick uh, a left back because at least as far as this podcast, and I'm a, I'm a rare contributor, but I'm a, a regular listener, um, doesn't, isn't going to have much to say about some of the other left backs here. So I'm going to pick Pat Vanden Howe. Um, who, again, I could cede all my time to Gary. Um, but, I mean, I, I think he's a cut above any of the other left-backs here. Um, uh, and uh, oddly only got 13 caps for Wales, which is unusual. I don't know who was keeping him out of that side. Was it Mark Bowen? Um, but he was he was a terrific, a terrific fullback, um, you know, partnered by another one on the other side uh, at the back there. Um, you know, the second least, as I think has been mentioned, the second least goals conceded by that Everton uh, back four. And um, now he did only play 31 games. So that thing I said about uh, uh, Lawrence and obviously I was, I was joking. It doesn't it doesn't matter. They're not really going to get that now, are we? Yeah, yeah. That, that, <laughs> was just, uh, that was just in jest. Uh, the reason he played 31 games is I think we signed him from Birmingham City. So he was... Uh... It was the days before transfer windows, so he actually came sort of mm, after the maybe. season had started. Yeah. And the the jump, the jumping quality from John Bailey, who was a decent bloke and once scored from inside his own half, um, 
but Van den Howe was two notches above him, at least as a player. Okay, but Van den Howe and your next one. All right, I'm gonna, and this this goes against every instinct that I have because there's someone else yeah, I really, cool. really want to pick, but it's it's going to be Graham Sharp up front. Okay, he uh, very young. Uh, 23 years old. I believe he'd gotten he got one of the goals in the cup final the year before. The other one that wasn't um, <laughs> not a goal. Mm. And uh, and I think again it was this season, wasn't it, Gary, that he scored an absolutely blistering goal against Liverpool. Oh yes, at Anfield, even better. Yes. So uh, he he got 21 goals uh, in 36 games. He could hold it up, uh, great in the air, finish with. Both feet. He's he was a, a terrific, terrific footballer. So Graham Sharp will be up front for me. Yeah, if you think Nicholas Jackson's getting a lot of yellow cards playing centre forward for Chelsea at the moment, Graham Sharp would have got that many in the first half of the first game. So hmm. um, he wouldn't be able to play like that now. But then you could get away with it, and uh, he was fantastic. Okay, but then how John Barnes, Peter Reid, and Graham Sharp. Uh, Gary. Well, do I stick with my Evertonians? I mean, Everton did win the title, say, with five games to spare. I think 13 points was the margin after they were in the flip-flops for the last two or three games of the season. Or do I go elsewhere? Um, I think... I think I will, because it's a, it's a kind of dream partnership, this. Although I've, I've got to leave a favourite out, but I think I will leave a favourite out, because uh, I want to partner Kevin Ratcliffe with Alan Hansen. Yeah, and if you're, wondering, if you're wondering how Pat Van Den Howe only got, whatever it was, 16 caps for Wales, how did Alan Hansen only get, tw- was it 23 or 26 for Scotland? Um, it it was just, um, yeah. Some Liverpool players weren't all that keen on playing international football. That's true. That's true. Possibly. But if, if, if you land for Mars, if you landed for Mars and watched um, sort of English football in the 1980s and you were invited to pick sort of five players who would have 100 international caps, he would definitely be in the five with 100 international caps. But somehow it didn't quite work at international level. He did make that mistake, I think, in the World Cup. Was it against New Zealand or something? I can't remember exactly now. But um, Alan Hansen and Kevin Ratcliffe, I think, would complement each other absolutely perfectly. Um, it does mean I'm missing out on a, another favourite, but, uh, yeah, Alan Hansen. Uh, he, he ran into Willie Miller, famously, that's, against that's US, USSR. Um, USSR, was it, yeah. Not Scotland out, of course, not Scotland out, and in comical fashion. Um, okay. Okay, uh, Graham Sharp, one of the, the only Everton players that Rangers didn't sign, um, <laughs> despite you, being a huge Rangers supporter. Um, Alan uh, Hampton, another Rangers supporter that he didn't <laughs> sign from Partick Thistle. Um, yeah. here's another. You are aware, Martin, you are aware that you said something quite uh, amusing there, that um, you said that uh, Scotland were knocked out in comical fashion. You don't need to put in comical fashion. I know, I know. Down here, it was always comical fashion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's this tradition. Listen, it's a yeah. changing world. 
and some things need to remain the same. <laughs> just gives us a sense of of grounding. Um, well, another Rangers fan who definitely didn't play for Rangers um, was Kenny Douglish, and I've already got a goal scorer, penalty box poacher, uh, needs some intelligence. There's probably another player with whom Lineker would later build up a rapport with, but uh, this is 84-85, maybe a wee bit early for him, so I will go for um, Douglish up front, and of course... Uh, and Everton player that Rangers did sign. Uh, I'll go with Gary Stevens. So I have Stevens and yeah. Stephen on the right-hand side. Uh, Mark Lawrence in uh, centre-back and a partnership of Lineker and Dalglish. Um, I mean, early days, gents, but that's given I'm well out my depth here. But when it comes to players 10 and 11, I will be um, getting into Wikipedia like no one's business. But yep, this is a is a, a decent start. Gary, what what, what were they like? Because obviously I know later on, roll this on a few years, just how good Stevens and Stephen were in that right-hand side in terms of understanding. Gary Stevens being a, a really, a real overlapping fullback and Stephen yeah. just some always kind of drifting in. Didn't need to hug the touchline, didn't need to get chalk on his boots because Stevens would do that anyway. Um, was that the kind of combination at, at Everton well, that early? Well, it, it it was. You know, they immediately gelled together. They're roughly the same age. And what was very clear with Gary Stevens is it was like having a 12th man on the field because somehow he was playing fullback and also playing right wing. Um, his energy, uh, his running was absolutely extraordinary. Uh, the, the impact was like when Kante started playing for Leicester and you, you kept mm -hmm. looking at the field and saying, hang on, is that is that Kante there? Well, how come? Because you know, mm -hmm. 20 seconds ago, he was in the opposition box. It was a bit like that with, with Gary Stevens. He was not technically absolutely gifted, but he could whip in a ball uh, crossing it. Um, but his energy up and down the field, his discipline, and the other thing about Gary Stevens, as I'm sure you found at, at Rangers, and it's the same with Van den Howe, and it's one of the reasons I have a, a, a penchant for tall fullbacks, because they could come in and do a job at centre-half, particularly on set pieces and stuff like that. So um, you had four tall players um, across that back four, and Gary Stevens, yeah, he, his, he, he managed to... He was never below seven out of ten. He was often at eight, and on a good day, he was a nine or ten. And you can't ask for more than that from a right back. Absolutely not. So Gary Stevens, there, Kenny Douglas, he was in the I think the match team of the year um, as part of a front three. Weirdly enough, you're talking about no no other formations, but four four two. There's um, the foresight of the the, the groundbreaking. Um, Football magazine, Gary. We're back to you. Are you going to go back? Yeah, to I need to. Yeah, I need to centre forward, and I'm really torn between the usual issue on um, drafts, which is do you go with the stats or do you go with the impact? Rarely for me, I'm going to go with the stats. Um, so I'm going to go for a, a forward who never really had the, the kind of charisma that you want from a centre forward, and his peak years were relatively... Brief. He didn't really make it for England, but he was a bloody good centre forward at first division level, and that's Chelsea's Kerry Dixon. Yeah, yeah. Why was that, Gary? Because he always did good numbers. 
Yeah, I think I think he was. You know, when Harry Kane came through and people were saying, well, what's he good at? Because he's not particularly fast. He's not particularly dominant in the air. He's not particularly um, so said good money ball at dribbling. Kane, yeah, that was it, Kane's problem, wasn't it? He, he, yeah. No one could see the actual stats because he just, for some reason, just didn't fit the bill as a footballer and just for, for some reason just wasn't in this, the, 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 the people's image of what a, a, a top-class number nine um, should look like and, and, and should speak like or, or whatever else and it just took yeah. a while for well listen here's what here's what he actually does and, and eventually obviously that, that kind of came through so yeah. was it was it was it that there was a thing? bit of there was a bit of that I mean obviously Kerry Dixon is not as good a footballer as Harry Kane and he never did what what I think was the kind of tipping point for people with Kane which is when it became obvious he wasn't just the best number nine in the Premier League, but he was also the best number 10 mm -hmm. uh, because of his passing and his ability to get on the ball. Um, but there was a, it was a little bit like that with Kerry Dixon. You kind of looked up and you found that, you know, in the, in the scoring charts that, you know, you know, he'd scored 10 goals in the first 12 games of the season. You think, well, how did that happen? And they were, corners that were headed on to him and he's on the back post nodding it in he was getting across the front man and and putting it in the uh, in at the near post but he didn't have that that verve um that graceful speed of a of a Lineker and he didn't he didn't look and sound like a clever player either but what he was was an instinctive finisher and he led the line well and as center forwards had to do in those days he knocked the center half around a bit so he made mm. space for others so you know, he was he did his job at his time and um probably not you know, he, he's the probably the kind of forward that England had a lot of in those days, which would get you through to the finals of a of a yeah, World yeah, Cup yeah. or a Euros. But you know, you're gonna they're gonna sure. be short on class when you come up against the uh, the the real international class defenders. Yeah. So Neville I think so that's a lot of, oh, No, I, I think that's a lot of it. Um he, uh, I mean, if you just do look at the stats, as as Gary uh, said at the start, there. I mean, he he's clearly. I mean, you would think, okay, there's a there's an England player, but I think uh, they. I mean, and he's how oh, I don't know how old he is. I don't think he's. I think he's still pretty young at this point. But there was a lot of um, yes, as you said, uh, forwards, centre forwards that were pretty similar to him that had already yeah. established themselves, Mariner and, and others. Uh, and and then pretty soon Lineker, who's a very different kind of player, um, you know, it, it, it rules the roost. Uh, but my my stepbrother, a lifetime Chelsea supporter, uh, his favourite player was Kerry Dixon, and would not stop talking about him. And he was, as Gary says, mm -hmm. he was a terrific early mid eighties English centre forward. Yeah, yeah. he's a good choice. Yeah, he does seem that. Like... So Neville Southall and goal are. Defensive partnership hands across Stanley Park uh, with Radcliffe and Hansen, Kevin Sheedy on the left, and Kerry Dixon now leading the line. Mac, who are we adding to your budgeting team with Sharp Barnes, Reed, Vanden Howe? Two picks, of course. Two picks, yeah. I feel like a lot of the best centre backs have gone, so I'm going to have to pick at least one. And um, I'm not going to upset Gary this time. I think I'm going to pick Terry Butcher at the centre of my defence. Uh, Ipswich, Ipswich were 
past their glory days really by this point although he had been there um the the, the whole time second in the league won the UEFA cup of course a couple of years before this season though i mean he was he was their player of the year he was an england regular by this point uh, already at the age of 25 so he's sort of approaching his peak um ipswich finished pretty low down in the table i think they were 17th yeah. but uh but only conceded the 10th most goals which i mean is is not great but they only scored the third most so i don't mm. i don't think we can i think i think probably butcher had quite a lot of pressure there to mm. to, to sort of hold them together and uh i mean he's he's a great center back so i'm going to pick terry butcher didn't upset gary but you managed to upset me so that's that part oh. of the <laughs> well part of the I, I, I thought that might happen too yes um yeah. let's see now i could let's see do i need another one of them no that's all right um all right i'm gonna give him a partner i'm gonna pick derek mountfield next to him uh title winning second fewest goals conceded as has been mentioned and he uh he scored 10 goals this season which i had to double check but seems to be right yeah that's uh that's starting to look a very formidable defense mac um van der butcher mountfield uh okay gary well i've got another of those choices here do oh, so that's go me. Yeah. Do you go for the kind of battering ram, the kind of non-technical player who can get through the mud and get on the end of crosses and can carry the ball and can go up against defenders like Butcher and hold their own? Or do you go for another graceful runner um, who could skip over even the ploughed fields that players were required to perform on? At the time, and again, I'll, I'll argue against type because I will leave my choice of one of Millings's team, um, and I'll go instead to play slightly off Kerry Dixon, and I'll go for Chris Waddle, um, who I had my reservations playing for England, but in in league football on his day he was unplayable, and uh, he I always like to have a ball carrier. And Sheedy wasn't particularly a ball carrier on the left-hand side. He was a he was a passer with a wide range. No, I want him. I want him up front. I want him. Um, I want him up front. Kerry, wow. Yeah, Kerry Dixon because he did play quite a bit up front. And if you look at his goals record, Mac will have it. I think he scored something like fourteen goals this season, Mac. Or am I misremembering? Um, but, but Chris Waddle, he played he played across the front line. Um, and he played slightly deeper, um, so it's it's kind of a half. Yeah, I think he had four, four, one, think one. But yeah, I, I want Waddle in there. Thirteen in, I think. Yeah, thirteen. Yeah, yeah. So I I, I think he, he he would drift. So again, arguing slightly against type, and I'll mention the player that he would be my alternative, but only if if Mac doesn't pick him, or indeed you don't pick him, Martin. Um, he gave rise to an Italian anarchist collective. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we shall see. Okay, um, I need to do something about the centre of my midfield, so I will do uh, a 
double done and one from either side of the uh, Mersey divide. Uh, I'll go for Paul Bracewell of Everton and John Watt. We're talking about Ipswich before, formerly of Ipswich, then later of Ipswich, but of course at Liverpool at this moment. So Bracewell and Watt. How good was Bracewell, Gary? Someone that I know the name, but don't really have much to hang on. Well, he, he, he was really, really good. And we didn't completely expect it when he signed. We didn't sort of see the player he became quite quickly. You know, a real box-to-box midfielder. Um, he had a, a good range of passing. He, like Peter Reid, he probably didn't get as many goals as you'd expect from an absolute top-flight uh, midfielder. But he was absolutely integral to that that team. He's much loved on Merseyside to, to this day. And, of course, he played one of the greatest passes in Goodison's storied history with uh, a, a kind of uh, horizontal leg volley uh, from the centre circle, more or less, out to Trevor Stephen, who took it in his stride on the wing, cut inside and smashed the ball into the net against Sunderland in an iconic 4-1 win. So, um, yes, the answer is, is he was very, very good. And given I've got Trevor Stephen, I look forward to seeing some mm. of those combinations uh, in my team as well. Um I'll ask you about this, Matt. John Wark, it's one of these things. He has a presence that is very um, rough and ready, kind of workman-like player. He was more than that. I mean, he's, he's got quite a few goals this season in, in that Liverpool team, popping up, I imagine, in the box at the right time. Your memories of John Wark, please. Yeah, no, I mean, you said uh, workman-like. I, I got in my inadequate notes i've got work a day that this kind of paul that sort of hangs around this this idea that i have of john walk and he he looks i mean just to look at him he looks like a workman like you know player um but yeah 18 goals he had in the season coming out of the out of midfield i mean that's almost that's astonishingly good um, he, as many goals as, as most of the more than most of the strikers that season uh, at, at, uh, in the division. Um, he never scored that many goals anywhere close in a season, I think, uh, other than that. But um, mm. but no, I, I, I this is sort of the early part of my memory of uh, English football. Uh, but he was quite prominent in it. Someone who achieved much more than you thought he was going to just by sort of looking mm. at him on the pitch. Also, he was in escape to victory. So well, you, might, you might have won just on that. I mean, I, I think that's as good a reason as any. Okay, then I have Matt Lawson, Gary Stevens supplying Trevor Stephen, Paul Bracewell and John Walk in midfield. And that, I think, very clever duel of Gary Lineker and Kenny Douglish up front. We're going to go to... Uh, Gary, now, um, where are we going to go now, Gary? Middle of the park, perhaps. Well, I'm going to go for Captain Fantastic, Brian Robson. He does feel a little overrated to me with the kind of veneration that he received, that somehow he'd have been a kind of combination of Maradona and Zidane if only he hadn't got injured all the time. And you know, at his best, and when he wasn't injured, he he, he was very... Very good indeed. But um, I remain sceptical about uh, his reputation being quite as good as it's remembered. Uh, having said that, 84-85, uh, he was um, uh, 
at pretty much the, the, the kind of peak of his powers. And um, if you can have Brian Robson there and you can't have Reed and Bracewell, then, you know, I'm going to pick Brian Robson. Yeah. Okay. South Hall, Ratcliffe Hansen, uh, your defensive triumvirate, I suppose. Uh, Robson in the middle, Kevin Sheedy out left, and uh, Chris Waddle just playing just off Kerry Dixon uh, in your team. Uh, we go to Mac then at this minute in time. You get Vandenhout left back, Butcher Mountfield uh, as your back two, your central back pairing. Uh, John Barnes on the left, Peter Reid midfield and Graham Sharp up front. You have two spots available to choose at this pass, Mac. I, I do. And um, listeners... Uh, might not understand, might, you know, we'll, we'll have seen that we've been delayed in our episode. It's, it's entirely my fault of the, this, this delay. And, um, but I haven't slept, Martin. I haven't slept because of an error that I made uh, <laughs> when we first began that I didn't pick this player. And I was hoping that I would have the chance to pick him because uh, he's... <sighs> I mean, he's, uh, he's Luther Lloyd Blissett is who he is. And he is the, the greatest striker. Sorry, Troy, if you're listening, and I know you're not, but he's the greatest striker <laughs> in the history of Watford Football Club. Uh, he got 21 goals this season. Uh, he was the leading scorer in the league. And I know this is a this season uh, team, but he was the leading scorer in the first division two seasons before. Uh, spent a year in Italy uh, in the meantime. Um, and... You know, he, he scored a hat-trick for England. <clears throat> and people might say, <clears throat> excuse me, people might say, yeah, Millings, but that was one of the least aesthetically pleasing hat-tricks that has ever been scored, not just in English football, but in <laughs> world football. But I will, but I will tell you this. <clears throat> he is, he was strong. He was fast. He had an unfortunately rhyming name with an easy headline <laughs> <laughs> if he happened not to take a chance, um, but he's he's uh, he's a total hero. Twenty-one goals. That's who I'm, that's who I'm having up front with uh, with Graham Sharp. Also, in his career, I, then, Mike. Just before sorry. you move on to your next one, no, in yes, his career, where, where is he right at this moment in time, in terms of the peak of his powers? He is oh, somewhere near the peak. I mean, I think. His best season was two seasons before. He'd had sort of a chastening time in Italy, but a, a lot of uh, English strikers, I mean, Ian Rush, similarly around this time, went to Italy and only scored six or seven goals. I think Blissett got six in 32 games or something like that um, uh, in Milan. Well, but I think he's somewhere near the peak of the palace. He kept scoring goals after this. And, and that hat-trick I mentioned in, uh, for England, I know it was a couple of years uh, before this, but it was against Luxembourg. And uh, if I may remind you, it's just 40 years later that Luxembourg are in the playoffs of the of Euro 2024. So that's, you know, it's no mean feat. Gary? Rib yeah, I, no, I, I, I always liked Big Luther. He was a bit rough and ready. Um, I, I felt at the time, and this seems very reductive, but it was at a time when black players were coming into the game. There had always been black players in the game, but their, their presence was obviously uh, noticeable on the pitch. And 
I always had him down as a slightly pound shop version of Cyril Regis, who I thought was quicker, stronger, a better finisher. And, well, and I, I always felt he sort of slightly suffered in comparison to Big Cyril. Um, but no, he was a he was a, a fine player and he, he had some seasons in which he was he was very good for that Watford side. But um, you know, technically not the, the most able, but he got his share. You're scoffing at my uh, comparison with Big Cyril. No, no, no. I was um, mock, uh, mock horror because <laughs> I love Luther, I love Luther Blissett. <laughs> okay, well, some love for Luther Blissett. That's good stuff. Who, who's next then, Mike? You have uh, right side midfielder or right winger, as it possibly would be then. Another central midfielder, a right back and a goalkeeper still to go. All right. Um, I am going to pick... Uh, the man that I think I I do think is the second best um, right back uh, in this in this lot. Uh, one of you already got the best one. I mean, I think he is uh, from my memory, and it's uh, Viv Anderson is who I'm going to put in at right back. Um, you know, he uh, good long career. He's 27 years old at this point. Um, weighed in with a couple of goals, three goals. Um, I thought he was terrific up and down the, the right flank for Arsenal uh, and other teams in his career. So, yeah, that's me. Yeah, that, that's that's a classy choice. So that's your back four completed then, Van den Hoe, Butcher, yes. Mountfield and Anderson. Very nice indeed. Uh, Gary, where are we going next? You still have uh, another central midfielder, another right midfielder, another right back as well. And the left back, full back's not touched thus far. Yeah, I'm going to go at right back two and I'm going to be playing him. But I think in this season, I would need Rob to to use his extraordinary uh, ability to conjure the, the facts from uh, bits <laughs> of paper uh, to confirm. But I'm, I'm going to play him anyway um, at right back and I'm going to go for Steve Nichol. Um Steve Nichol was... Uh, uh, up and down player. He he played midfield for some of his career, right back for the rest of mm. it. And um he he had an eye for a goal. He was good disciplined, defensive, had a lot of energy. Um he's one of the players, and there are there are a few in this, but one of the players I think that would most easily fit into football the way it's played now, um, with the fullbacks being a, a, such an attacking force, the use of space, uh, ability to find a find a pass and get on the end of a cross or two or indeed pick up a second ball and put it in the back of the net. So Steve Nichols, my man, is he a Scotland legend, Martin, or is he felt to be Ooh. a bit of an underachiever? I don't know. So many players who did so well in English club sides tended to underperform a little uh, when they've done the national colours, not least yeah. of course, 1978, need I remind you. We have Scottish legends... Yes. I think very few Scotland legends, if that makes any sense, because yeah. you would then have to go and do something historic for the national team. And even you were talking year 84, 85, the mid 80s, um, yeah. even some of two of the greatest players to ever play football from this country, Doug Leach and Sunnis. Although Sunnis won't be involved in this because he's um, in Italy at this moment. Um, still weren't absolutely beloved by the Tartan Army because I don't think they really saw Scotland as being anywhere near as important as Liverpool, certainly not in terms of 
the amount of friendlies and, and, and whatever else that they would they would yeah. maybe be asked to play. Hansen, another one. Um yeah. and just this this kind of creeping feeling that that, that well, as it was a creeping reality that club football was increasingly um more dominant, more important, uh, and the international football was a bit of a heart back to an amateur romantic age, which I guess it kind of is. But uh yeah, it's there's I mean how many, how many do you want that are um brilliant players, but they were brilliant players for clubs, English clubs, most notably. Um Scotland lives that's a idea for a pod, you know, Gary. Yeah. Um, so uh, uh, English and England as well. It's just uh, there's, there's some people yeah. just made for international football, some that that uh thrive in the, the, the club environment. Uh and maybe it is Law and Baxter that, that are really uh that take that 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 particular mantle, uh, immortalized as they are at, at Wembley and and all of that, but uh, yeah. So you're saying more... what you're saying is that there's Jim Baxter and then a set of footnotes. Is that uh... <laughs> <laughs> I included Law in that, which I think is absolutely fair. Yeah, yeah. Um, Mac is Steve Nichol okay at right back there? I, 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 I knew he, he did later on, but I don't know what's happening at 84, 85. To be honest. Yeah, if I'm if I'm going to take the Rob Smythe uh, position just for a moment, yeah, he I think Phil Neal was the regular right back yeah. still this season. It might have been his last season, but he was still, but. Um, of course, Nickel. I, I agree with everything Gary said about him, about his uh, ability anywhere on that right-hand side that he would fit in well today. So I have no problem with him at right back until uh, we do our review of each other's teams at the end, in which case I will have a problem. <laughs> You'll be cutting. Um, okay. Right, back to me then. Uh, I need... I goalkeeper, uh, a left back, a centre back and a left winger. The left winger is going to be problematic but you you both have one and the best ones <laughs> so I'll need to try and find uh, that I can I can hold on. I'll, I'll take Shelton in goals. I, I'm not loving the other um, options. Um, we aren't quite at that point in Peter Shelton's career I don't think where it's mm, are we time to, to kind of call it a day? Is this 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 pretty rusty? Um, he's still he's still doing things from what I can see. Um, so I'll I'll, I'll chuck um, Shilton in there. Um, wait wait a minute. He's still doing things. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna have to step in there. Yes, What's he doing wrong? He did. He did. Okay. He's. I was. I'm gonna. I'm gonna save it. Because no, I'm not. You know, I'm I'm ready. Um, he's he's not. Where is he at? Southampton this season. He is. Yeah, he's the PFA yeah. team of the year. You you trying to tell oh, me the Professional yeah. Footballs Association man, <laughs> can get things wrong? Is, is this what you're telling me? Um, I think Gary's choice of Neville Southall in goal <laughs> speaks volumes uh, for that. I mean, Southall, <laughs> of course, is is the greatest goalkeeper for his club. The goalie I'm going to pick is also the greatest goalie for his club. Shilton's not the greatest goalkeeper for Southampton, Southampton's history. That's Tim Flowers. He's not the greatest goalkeeper in Leicester's history. That's Gordon Banks. He's not the best goalkeeper in... Oh, now, where... Come on. I, I've got I've got a rant ready for, for that. Yes. He's not the best team, uh, goalkeeper in... Uh, let's see, Stokes' history, that was also Gordon Banks. He's not the best goalkeeper in Nottingham Forest's history, 
everyone knows, that's Steve Sutton. He's not the best <laughs> goalkeeper in Derby County's history oh, because on, that is no. also Steve Sutton. <laughs> come on. Or it could be well, one like... legend, Mark, Mark Poom. So, um, no, I can't forgive, and I know it's not this season, his little Lilliputian legs for Andy Bramer's free kick. I'm, I'm sorry. But listen, oh, you listen, picked listen. him. Listen, by the time we get to uh, 1990, you 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 don't have to convert me into the Chris Woods as um, England's number one and should have um, should have been there at that point in time. However, um, I mean Southampton are what fifth? Uh, not many conceded fewer goals than them. Uh, Everton, Liverpool. Um, that's it. Uh, I just I I know who's coming next, and that's fair. That that's absolutely fine. I just I I I can't deal with that kind of level of maverick um, in goal. Um, it winds me up too much. Um, so, Shilton must have been they must have been doing things for Southampton to be um, a fifth, and with quite a, a decent um, uh, goals conceded record. So I, I'm all right with that. I'm I, I've taken your. Uh, abuse on board, but I'm going to stick with it. Uh, and I'm going to also go for Kenny Sampson in uh, at left back, if that's okay. I, I'm, sh- I'm sure it's okay with Gary. Yeah, he loves, yeah, you he, have, he loves Kenny Sampson. You can, you can, you can have, have him. Fully enough, I, I, I thought of him um, watching uh, some highlights. I can't remember which match it was recently. And I ended up pointing at the screen and loudly exclaiming to my son, that's why you've got to have a six-footer at right back. Because it was a, a full-back getting completely out-jumped at the far post. And um, the, more the things change, eh? heading the ball in. And uh, Kenny Sensum is a, is a classic example of too, too short a man at full-back. But anyway. And people wonder. It seems to work okay for your old Continentals. They seem to win quite a lot with these... Technical short fullbacks, but anyway, this is England in 1984 85. Yeah, no I... <laughs> such time for continental sophistication here. You're, you're uh, okay, playing so... the, Philip, the Philip Lahm uh, card, which uh, yeah. trumps anything, so I'll, I'll let you have that one. <laughs> okay, so when we come back to me, I will finish. I need to think of a left winger here. Um, shouldn't be hard in Britain in the mid 80s, but um, yeah, a, a left winger and a right sided centre back to finish my. Team, uh, Gary, what, what are you going to do next? Um, oh. You have, yeah, still left back, still right midfield, still centre midfield. Well, right midfield, I think I'm going next. And unless anybody else has got him, uh, and I don't think they have, I'm going to go for uh, the wee man, Gordon Strachan. Who was to have a and kind of Ooh. Indian summer uh, some some week uh, some years later for Leeds, but he, he was an action player. He uh, he had the red hair, the fiery temperament that we always assign to red haired people. I don't know whether there's any any physiological uh, explanation for that, but it's a great journalistic cliche, and I never walk away from one of those. Uh, not <laughs> wanting a gift horse in the mouth, am I? And so I'm gonna. Um, Put Gordon Strachan in there. I liked his personality, Gordon Strachan. He often played with a smile on his face. Uh, and he is a, a rare footballer who scored one of my favourite ever goals for a team that I have nothing, uh, no involvement with whatsoever. And, of course, you'll know, Martin, that extraordinary goal he scored for Scotland against Holland. Mm, West Germany. Just oh, for a West moment. Germany. West Germany, was it? Yeah, just for a moment. Yeah. 
uh, hopes, as they so often did for Scotland, flickered before they were extinguished by the uh, boot of destiny. But um, always like Gordon Strachan, I want him in there. You can see he's in right midfield, is he? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, with his club teammate at the time, Brian Robson. Okay, some nice combinations going on here. Yeah. Uh, Mac, as always, you have two goals and you've got, th- what, three positions left. Okay. I mean, I would have loved to have had Strachan. Uh, he scored 15 goals from midfield this season. I mean, a number of them were penalties, but yeah. nevertheless. Um, although... That that was odd, as because uh, as as Sir Alex Ferguson would say, just a few years later, Manchester United player would have to get shot to get a penalty. But <laughs> there you are. He scored he scored seven of them. Um, and I was when I was watching highlights, um, at least two of the penalties, and I I saw three of them. He pointed at the place that he had scored it, like I was always going to do it over there. As he walks off, as his celebration. I mean, lots of uh, sort of arrogance, but confidence charisma and he, he was a terrific uh, terrific player Ferguson always also said of him he's uh, not a man that I would want to uh, turn my back to in a hurry um, so I think you want that kind of a you want that kind of killer on your team maybe one not too many but yeah no he's he's a great choice maybe we need so what maybe I... we need a, maybe we need a compendium of sort of Alex Ferguson's quotes you know I think that might well, be that, an interesting an kind interesting, of idea it's interesting idea I'll, I'll see what I can do Gary <laughs> Um, so who, I need what I need a right, uh, right side of midfielder, right, uh, right side of central, right wing and a goalie. All right. Ah, and I have two, let's see. Oh, mm, oh. okay. Do I, do I go with my heart or do I go with what's going to get me votes? I mean, to be honest, the only time Gary ever lost this game was the other time I played. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm going into this feeling like I'll be lucky if I finish fourth. So maybe that doesn't matter. Uh, but you know what? I'll go on the right wing with... Has anyone had Pat Nevin yet? All right. I'm going to go with Pat Nevin. Uh, ironic, ironically, considering his, uh, his politics, he'll be on the right wing for me. Um, he didn't score that many goals this season, scored four, but Chelsea were scored the six most, most goals this season. They scored 63, so I'm assuming he had quite a lot of uh, assists. And he was a terrifically exciting player, uh, uh, bundles of character. Um, I, I really enjoyed watching Pat Nevin play, so uh, he'll be on the right for me. Can I just plug the fact that we have in our archive an interview that I did with Pat Nevin, which was an enormous amount of fun to do. And um, you'll be able to find it uh, in the archive of Ness and Dorma there. Um, I should also point out that he took the most hilarious penalty in the history of penalty taking. Perhaps not in this season. Okay, yeah, I mean, he's... uh media darling now isn't he uh, he always kind of was he was able to cultivate that kind of high priest of indie chic even as a player um, yeah okay Pat Nevin out on the right and your second choice in this little double dunt then Mike, centre of the park or in goal I'm going to go centre of the park um, uh, I want a little bit of creativity in there alongside Peter Reid uh, he missed quite a few 
games through injury, I think, this season, but still scored eight goals. Um, he scored, as, as Spurs were pushing for second at the back end of the season, he got four goals in the last five. And they would have finished second if, it hadn't, if they hadn't been beaten by the mighty Hornets 5-1 uh, <laughs> right toward the end of the season. Uh, but it's Glenn Hoddle. He's going to be Another my man in the Gary Naylor favourite, Glenn. Yes, yes. But Gary, I don't know if Gary's distaste for him is England-based or Spurs-based, or maybe it's everything-based. But, but it, it, um, it's it's a it's a little bit media-based in that you know if if Glenn Hoddle if Glenn Hoddle sneezed, you know they'd be looking for the particles making a a, a decent line in the channel for for a forward. He he could do no wrong for a lot of the media until, of course, he did something very very wrong as an England manager. Um, he he did have fantastic moments, of course he did, um, but to me, uh, he he never quite lived up to the reputation. And you know, maybe in being a bit of a chippy northerner, most of the time I avoid chippy northerner status. Uh, yes, I can hear some hollow laughs from listeners, um, but uh, it, 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 he was an example of a, a kind of London-based player who was media friendly, who seemed to be promoted. Uh, all the time and didn't quite have the results to, to back it up uh, for me. But um, yeah, undoubtedly a talented player. And I'll tell you what, if, if I am going to pick Hoddle, I would definitely have him alongside Peter Reid because that sounds like a, a combination that could mm. work uh, very well. Okay, okay. You only need a goalkeeper now, but you get Vandenhout, Butcher, Mountfield, Anderson, Barnes, Reid, Hoddle, Nevin, Sharp, and Blissett. Uh, okay, Gary, you're nearly done. Uh, you need a central midfielder and a left back. Yes, let's have a look at my side again. Bit of balance. Well, I'm, I'm gonna go for a, a, the kind of player that I, I often like whose best work goes unnoticed, um, knits teams together. Uh, and was always liked by the managers that he played for, um, but is perhaps best remembered for being the owner of uh, Diego Maradona's shirt, and that's Steve Hodge. <laughs> so I'm going to put Steve Hodge in there. His greatest hits highlights may only comprise the famous photograph of him swapping shirts with uh, with Maradona, but everybody everybody needs uh, that kind of of player um, who does the dirty work, who finds a, a 10-yard pass to a colleague and uh, can play the occasional important cross for an 89th-minute towering header over a small fullback. Yep, scored a dozen goals this season as well. So, yeah, got that going for him. Okay, okay. Uh, you are missing a left-back. We'll come back to you to complete that. Uh, all right, it's me to finish up then. A left-winger and, and Central back. Um, mm, the two best left wingers have gone. Um, not a, the worst season for Manchester United, um, given some of the other efforts in the 80s. I'll go for Jesper Olsen if that's okay. Um, 
yep, not grabbing the headlines that, that, that Barnes and Sheedy may have that season. But he played a lot of league games, um, six goals, not a lot of assist uh, stats available in 1984-85 in England. But uh, I do imagine there, there would be a few uh, going around there. So um, I'll take Olsen on one side, Trevor Stephen the other. That, that seems to me to be nicely balanced. And I'm going to do something that I really do on these things, but, you know, teams finish further down the table than others and players get forgotten about, but there's some players keeping things alive. Um, it's like the goalkeepers who are well-tested because they've got loads to do um, and they get good ratings. Um I'll go for Alvin Martin alongside Mark Lawrence and um, West Ham or, or, you know, the lower half of the table, um, but his consistent ratings seem pretty high because he would have been doing a lot, so he'll be well worked, um, uh, well used in season 84-85, so that completes my team, gents. Shilton, uh, Kenny Samson, Mark Lawrence and Alvin Martin. Uh, Gary Stevens, Jesper Olsen, Paul Bracewell, John Watt, Trevor Stephen, with Lineker and Dalgleish up front. A good mix of Everton and Liverpool, some United and other bits and pieces uh, sprinkled in there as well. So yeah, for someone who wasn't conscious of what was going on at the time, uh, I don't think that's a <laughs> dreadful start, I'll be honest. Um, any thoughts on those two players before we, we move on to, 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 to Gary? Well, I, I liked Jesper Olsen as a player, but I liked him more playing for Denmark than playing for Manchester United. Uh, not because he was playing for Manchester United, but that that whirling dervish of a Danish team with the class of Laudrup and the threat of uh, Elkia uh, seemed to suit him a little better. It felt to me like he was the kind of player who who was more in the supporting cast than, than being thrust centre stage and any player who plays for Manchester United even at that time seemed to be permanently centre stage. I'm not entirely sure it, it suited him. Um, physically whether the English First Division was particularly on those pitches were, were best for him as well I, I'm unsure but um, yeah certainly certainly a decent player. Are we, um, are we doing a wild card uh, today? We shall do Mike yeah. Okay, because I had a couple of, I mean, Gary and I are older gentlemen, and so uh, there are a couple of players that I would have had above him on the left, um, but uh, I mean, he's, you know, obviously a, a good player, but um, yeah, and Alvin Martin, oh, I, I didn't even have him on my list, so I have nothing prepared to uh, trash uh, to trash talk you with for him, um, and that says it all. Yeah, for me, he might need uh, Mark Lawrenson's pace alongside him, put it that way. Yeah, he, he might, yeah. Listen, of all the players rated weekly um, that season, he's third in the list behind Peter Reid and Pat Nevin. So um, you can take your notes and do with them what you wish. Um, <laughs> Gary, how, how are we finishing this? Who's at left back? Well, uh, there's a couple of choices at left back, and I won't name both of them because they might come, may come up as wild cards. But um, I'm going to go for an unheralded player uh, who had a glorious sunburst moment uh, in the in the uh, glare of uh, glory at um, in the European Cup final. Um, 
I don't think his nickname uh, helped very much, thinking of him as a kind of workhorse just shuttling up and down. But he was disciplined. He played in a, a fine side. And he may not have had the grace and class of Steve Nichol on the other side, but I'm going to go for Barney Rubble, Alan Kennedy. Okay, he's still doing bits in 84, 85, Gary. Okay, fair enough. Um, Southall, Kennedy, Ratcliffe, Hanson, Nichol. This is Hewn from Merseyside here, Gary. Um, Sheedy, Hodge, Robson, Strachan, and Dixon and Warlock, Francis, and a wee bit more uh, representative later on up the field. And, Mac, you get to complete your lineup with your goalkeeper. All right. Now, you are probably going to start typing in a certain name, uh, but mm. I agree with you that I don't want that particular maverick uh, at, at the back for me. And I um, I met the goalkeeper that you might have thought I was going to pick once, and um, I, I ended up, I liked him, I disliked him as a goalkeeper and a person, <laughs> but we won't name him because I don't know if I can get in trouble for that. So I'm going to pick, this is the part of the pod, there's always one part of the pod um, where uh, Martin says, well, I wasn't expecting to hear the name, and in this case, <laughs> Tony Coton today. Oh, oh. And I'll tell you why I'm going to pick Tony Coton. Now, sorry, Watford legend Anthony Philip Coton. Um, so Watford did concede, oof somewhere like the second most goals, but he was not the goalkeeper for the entire season. He took over from Steve Sherwood. Uh, Gary will know this. Uh, Sherwood was still concussed um, from, from Andy Gray, headbutting him in the cup final the season before. Um, also, he, uh, he played 79% of Watford's games that season, but he only conceded 73% of their goals. So I think the stats speak for themselves there. Um, also, he didn't concede any of Everton's goals, which puts him above <laughs> Big Neville Southall. Um, he's he's the greatest goalkeeper in Watford's history. He's the greatest goalkeeper in Manchester City's history because fuck Edison. Uh, he's he, oh, and and the other one who shall remain nameless also. Only Gary's choice and my choice are the greatest goalkeepers in the history of their club. None of the others are. Tony Colton, he's a legend, and uh, he won't let any goals in as long as I don't have any of the Watford back four in front of him, so he's going to be just mm. fine. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to go for Cotton, but um, I'll, be, I'll be, I'm happy to be um, led otherwise. There, Van den Howe, Butcher, Mountfield, Anderson, Barnes, Reed, Hoddle, Nevin, Sharp, and Blissett. Okay, guys, who have we missed? Who uh, who's been unlucky not to be selecting these original elevens before we we maybe have a change of heart? I'm, I'm looking at the two of you because I I cannot speak yeah. from experience. Um, I'm I'm going to say a word for uh, Ronnie Whelan. Yeah. Um, who uh, I think was playing mostly on the left in this season, but I, I had him as a as a backup if I needed him in the middle. Um. I mean, I, I feel like he's consistently then and and still an underrated footballer, um, yeah. not spoken of, I think, as 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 much uh, as as others of the time, uh, including Hoddle. I mean, who I picked myself. I think I think he was a fantastic mm-hmm. player. Um, made made that 
Liverpool team tick. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd throw him into the ring, Gary. Yeah, and a bit of background on, on Whelan is that Liverpool could have kept Sheedy or Whelan, and Liverpool fans will tell you that they were happy that they kept Whelan, uh, whereas Everton fans will be tell you that they're happy that they transferred Sheedy to Everton. Um, but Ronnie Whelan was a, a fine player, not just for the Republic of Ireland, but also for Liverpool. So he is certainly, I think, unlucky not to make any of our 11s. Um, can I throw in a name that's familiar to you, Martin? Um, not a player I particularly liked for lots of reasons, but um, he was versatile and he was very good in this uh, season. And that's Graham Roberts, who I think is a little mm. lucky yep. to get yep. in there. A better passer of the ball than, than perhaps his reputation as a take every uh, anything above the knee, as it's running towards you, <laughs> suggests. Um, and you know, very good this season for, for Tottenham, who, as Mac points out, managed to finish fourth in a two-horse race or whatever it was. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, I think he's a bit unlucky to not make, a, make a, uh, an appearance in one of the three elevens. Where was he playing at that time then, Gary? Was he playing right back or was he, he playing in the right center center half? Yeah, I think he was mainly playing in the middle of a back four. I think he, he might have had some games in midfield. Uh, and that's because you know midfield destroyers were, were still very popular then. But it also showed that uh, he could uh, get his head up and make a pass when he needed to. Um, I don't know what his yellow card count was these mm. days. Uh, yeah, it would I be can imagine. Having, it would be 38 uh, if he played all 38 games, but um, obviously he wouldn't. Uh, but he, yeah, uh, even in those more liberal times, he picked up his fair share of uh, yellow cards, did uh, Graham Roberts. But um, a better player, I suggest, for those of us who remember watching him than his, uh, his reputation allows. Okay, that's given me some... Yeah. Cause for thought. Um, uh, just looking at pure. Yeah, on you go. No, sorry. No, 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 no. Go ahead, Martin. I was interrupting. No, I was just just looking at again some some pure stats, and again not through blue tinted specs here. Although he only played for Rangers for just a few months, but Mark Falco as well from that Spurs team. I think he's got twenty two goals over the course of the season as a kind of powerful. Um, target man striker in there. We've got um, some lots of clever. Strikers, I think, going about, you know, mobile, um, great movement, great awareness, um, predatory instincts. But um, I wonder how Falco was thought of around that time. Spurs just off their European success. Would they be getting this this competition yeah, this, he, this season? Sorry, he never really followed up Rockley Amadeus, did he, Mac? That was his uh, problem. <laughs> Um, yeah, oh. uh, he was he was a bit he was a bit like Graham Sharp, uh, extremely combative. Didn't score as many vital goals as, as Sharp did. Um, he was a, I think he's the kind of player. There's a few of them. The aforementioned Roberts was another. If, if he was playing for you, you loved him. But if he was playing against you, God, you couldn't stand him. And um, mm-hmm. you know that's that's often the mark of an effective player. To be fair. But, um, yeah, I'm surprised he scored as many goals as you say there, 
Just over the course of things, that's in all competitions. And the other one I wanted to ask about, possibly too young and coming into the season too late, but the hero of the cup final, of course, Norman Whiteside. Just too too little, too late, I guess, maybe for the try to capture the whole of that league season, Mike? Yeah, I, I think so. Although I did have him sort of the top of my second tier of, of midfielders. Um, I mean, he was very young. He's still, I think, only 19. But mm-hmm. and, and as you say, did not play the whole season, but scored scored a good handful of goals, nine goals. I mean, he was, he's a terrific player. And, and had one of us picked him, I, I wouldn't have had an awful lot to say against it. Um, did he play no. midfield though, Mac? Wasn't he still pretty much a forward in those days? Or was he beginning <sighs> already to drop back a little bit? You know what? That's a good question. I I had. I think he was still a advanced midfielder, but maybe maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Yeah. Mike, you were going to suggest someone else there. I think. Um, I mean, there's a couple of people. I uh, he would have been one of my sort of sexy outsider picks. Uh, I I want to mention not that he really came close to being picked for me, but I want to mention Johnny Methard because I love him so much. (laughs) And and so versatile though. I mean, he um, he played at the back um, for Forest this season. He played, I think, he's played uh, some central midfield. Um, you know, he he only twenty six, but he had a ton of experience. He'd uh, he'd lost. He just lost a couple of years. Actually, he lost in the Cup Winners' Cup final to Aberdeen. I think a couple of years before for, and he was playing for Madrid. I mean, this is. You know, not this is not the Madrid of you know mm. the last fifteen years, but it's still a good Madrid side. And he he was he was wearing number ten for them in that that cup final, so he could play anywhere. Um, as someone who is beginning to enter the the bald brotherhood myself, it's lovely to see a shiny pate on a field and <laughs> and his free kicks and his free kicks. I mean, you just have to look up Johnny Mehod free kicks. Um, I mean, he he bullied the ball past Phil Parks, I think, this season at 100 miles an hour. He he put one in the top corner against United to beat United 3-2 after Forrest had been 2-0 down. So he scored great goals, important goals, and he could play anywhere. Fantastic footballer. He, he was a highly watchable footballer, tall for a midfielder in those yep. days and with an, an a kind of imperious gait about him uh, there. And... Um, you know, he, he he didn't look like so many of the Dutch players did, like they were sort of ballet dancers. He looked more like a kind of hod carrier who'd uh, who'd been schooled in the uh, in the philosophy of Johan Cruyff. Um, of course, he was not as skillful as Cruyff uh, by any means, but he was always watchable and always unmistakable with that floodlight shining off the page. Yeah. Okay. Mac, you have first goal. You were last in the draft originally, so you get first goal to make one change. Ah, uh, well, I mean, I I picked I picked Nevin, but I really wanted to. I really, really, really wanted to pick Nigel Callahan of Watford because, um, uh, underrated player. Scored eight goals on the right side of midfield. A lot of Watford fans of a certain vintage in his Watford career, not over like an entire career, but, but at, 
as a Watford player against Barnes, put him ahead Barn of, of Barnes. I mean, a, a Beckham-esque, and I don't say that lightly, a, a Beckham-esque crosser of the ball. Watford scored like 80 goals this season. He must have had 30 assists. I'm going to say 40, probably 45. <laughs> um, uh, so he's... And, and he... Uh, I mean, he said himself in a recent interview that he thought he was one of the top 10 crosses of the ball in English football. And I mean, that's his own opinion. I mean, so, you know, we, we might say it's biased, <laughs> but, but, but then my opinion is that I'm the worst player at this game and I'm right. So, you know, uh, so I, I, I'm tempted to pick him. Um, um, oof, Landon Hasbro, Reed Hoddle. Uh, I mean, I don't. I think I have a balanced team. Um, I, I thank Gary for his endorsement of Reed and Hoddle alongside one another. I think you got two of the best wingers of that era. Uh, Sharp and Blissett are just going to score goals from their crosses. Uh, fullbacks, great. I don't think I have the best central midfield pairing. They, they're wonderful players, but I think uh, players I wanted to pick. Um, uh, had already gone, but no, I, I like my team. Good stuff. It is locked in. Gary, do you have any last minute changes to yours or change to yours? Uh, let's have a look here. Um, there's, a, there's probably a temptation if you're looking at stats and remembering and Everton by being the outstanding team to think I've gone for the wrong H there in midfield and I should have Adrian Heath and not Steve Hodge mm. but I think Steve Hodge does balance it out a bit um, but I, I, I like the team I like how it's set up there I think when the votes come in they might look at Kerry Dixon and Chris Waddle and say well you know are you going to get goals you know where is the where is the personality striker there and so on but I think as we we said in the stats both returned healthy goal-scoring numbers, and Sheedy got plenty from out wide, and we've already heard that Strachan got got enough there. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think I'd want to swap anybody out. I thought about Derek Statham ahead of uh, Alan Kennedy at, at left-back, but um, that would be a, a marginal call. I'm certainly not changing the goalkeeper, and I'm not changing my two centre-backs. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I think I'll live with that team. As I say, I think in the public vote, um, they'll see Waddle and Dixon as being an inferior front two to either of, of the other uh, selections, but um, I'll, I'll, I'll live with that. You're happy. That's, that's all, all, all that matters. Um, okay, I will make that change that you suggested. How can I leave out Roberts? Uh, <laughs> so Alan Martin goes. Um, yep, yeah, no problem with me. Uh, yeah, okay. Um, Probably a little weaker than it should be of having first pick, but in a three-person draft, is that really that important? Especially we're looking over the entire season. Uh, yeah, Samson, Lawrence, Robertson, Stevens, best right back in the league. Um, Lawrence still very strong at that point. You mentioned Roberts again coming off a, a Spurs team that finished third and you know European Trophy the season previous. Uh, Again, from what I can gather, I like the combination of Bracewell and Wark. Um, 
maybe slightly unheralded compared to other contemporaries there, but that's fine. Trevor Stephen will always work for me. Um, and I'm, I'm fine with keeping Jesper Olsen, yet yeah, Barnes and Sheedy better options. But uh, I quite like a bit of the continental flair in my team. Thank you. I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm okay with that. And actually very delighted with Lineker and Douglas in terms of complementary styles and intelligence and um, Douglas just dropping off that little bit. Uh, yeah, um, Lineker will get plenty of support, I think, and there's also goals coming from midfield as well. So for someone who did not live through the time, I'm I'm actually all right with that 11. Um, any final words on these teams and the season as a whole? Because we know what's coming for English yeah. football at the end of it and a lot of these players that are in these three teams um, or players of that ilk are no longer going to be around well I'll, I'll just make a tiny comment on your team and then a more global comment uh, I do think that um, who, who was the Mac, who was that Danish manager who liked the long crossfield ball? Was he Danish? May have been Norwegian to um, Torre Andre Flo in particular. Oh. Uh, Wimbledon manager. Yet, I know who you mean. Yeah, I think he, I think he might have been manager at Wimbledon. He did manage in the English league, but um, his his signature was a ball, a diagonal ball from either left to right or right to left uh, across the field, and I think. Um, your right, your left side there with Sanson and Jesper Olsen. Um, I think I'd be attacking down that side of the field. Put it that way. <laughs> I think I'd want a, a tall, a tallish uh, player on the end of some uh, some long crossfield passes. And I think Mark Lawrenson would have a fair bit of work to do uh, on on that side of the defence. So that would be my comment on on that team. Um, do you want me to make a more global comment? Uh, as as a more yes, kind please. of global, yeah. As a more global comment, I think the the kind of watershed moment in English football, and it, it obviously is a watershed moment in English football, is the founding of the Premier League because that changed the finances and changed the profile and brought us the star strikers at halftime or whatever they were called, and 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 so much else. But I think you know there's a case for this being more a watershed season um because the european ban comes in um my team of course don't get the the chance to explore their potential and break up relatively quickly players start to go to europe um the the game begins to feel parochial uh that the english players skill sets are left behind somewhat by the the technical advances that are going on uh, in, in European football. Um, but other elements of it, you know, these are this was a season played on frozen pitches, on muddy pitches. It was a game that that was played in, in 84, 85, with refereeing the way it was as well. Um, there was a, a clear, you could still see a clear, I think, connection to Sunday morning football. You could still see there were the the same kind of body shapes uh, that were that were playing it. You had the occasional fat player coming through. I mean, the song was "His Fat Is Round." He's worth a million pounds, Peter Reed. He wasn't fat, but you could see that they were not the sleek thoroughbreds that one sees today, or indeed started coming through 
15, 20 years ago uh, with changes in nutrition and uh, recovery and physiology and everything. Um, you know, that that's kind of nostalgic talk. And Max already said we're two old men. And, you know, it, it, it always worries me a little bit when one can become too nostalgic, too much of the, the good old days. And there was lots, lots wrong obviously inside the grounds, especially outside the grounds then. Um, lots wrong with racism, lots wrong with the de facto exclusion of women. You know, you could barely find the women's toilets in football grounds. God, how are you supposed to get women into the grounds in such circumstances, apart from everything else? So it was not a better time objectively, but with that kind of romantic vision, the, the subjective element of, you know, sort of, more players with local accents playing for their local clubs who come up through the what were not called academies but were called kind of YTS or youth schemes and everything else. It was haphazard. It was full of faults, but it it made for a, a, a wonderful connection between the terraces as they still were and and the players. And you know, like uh, Jim Ignatowski has a famous line in Taxi where. He's talking about something entirely different, but he finishes it off with an ironic, I kind of miss those times, and I kind of hmm. miss those times as well. Okay, okay. Thank you for playing, as always. Listeners, I hope uh, you've enjoyed uh, that rundown. I mean, the, the draft is a good bit of competitive fun, but it, it's also a nice way or a new way or a more interesting way, I think, of... Uh, looking back at particular seasons, tournaments, states of play, trying to capture that essence of time. And I hope we've done that justice. For me, anyway, it's been an education, as I hoped it would be at the start. Thank you, Gary Neal. Thank you. A delight as ever. And thank you for all the button twiddling and pressing <laughs> and everything else behind the scenes, Martin. Uh, easy bit. Thank you, Mike Millings. Thank you, Martin. It was uh, an honour, as always. And listeners, you will get your chance to vote. As always, keep your eyes peeled on socials in the next couple of days. This will be the final draft, the final show of 2023. We will be back at some point in the new year with uh, new drafts, new miniseries, another deep dive in the summer. Um, but thank you for your support this year. It's good to be back. It's good to be appreciated. Um, have a great Christmas when it comes and have a fantastic 2024. We will see you on the other side. Bye for now.